0: Good evening. Calls grow to re-impeach Trump. What went wrong at the Capitol? The racial double standard in protest policing. And New York takes another step closer to legalizing pot. With these and other stories, I'm Paul Durienzo with the WBAI News for Thursday, January 7th, 2021. Last night, the United States House and Senate continued their session after hundreds of supporters of President Donald Trump rushed the Capitol and vandalized the chambers. Vice President Mike Pence, with House Speaker Nancy Pelosi at his side, announced Joe Biden and Kamala Harris the winners and closed the joint session.
1: The whole number of electors appointed to vote for president of the United States is 538. Within that whole number, a majority is 270. The votes for President of the United States are as follows. Joseph R. Biden Jr. of the state of Delaware has received 306 votes. Donald J. Trump of the state of Florida has received 232 votes. The whole number of electors appointed to vote for Vice President of the United States is 538. Within that whole number, a majority is 270. The votes for Vice President of the United States are as follows. Kamala D. Harris of the state of California has received 306 votes. Michael R. Pence of the state of Indiana has received 232 votes. The announcement of the state of the vote by the President of the Senate shall be deemed a sufficient declaration of the persons elected President and Vice President of the United States, each for the term beginning on the 20th day of January 2021 and shall be entered together with the list of the votes on the journals of the Senate and the House of Representatives.
0: Trump is still the president until noon on January 20th when Biden and Harris are sworn in. After yesterday's riot, incited by an incendiary Trump speech that urged thousands of his supporters not to be weak and follow him to the Capitol, the incident left a woman shot dead by a Capitol police officer and has prompted bipartisan calls for Trump's impeachment or removal. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi earlier today.
2: The President of the United States incited an armed insurrection against America. The gleeful desecration of the U.S. Capitol, which is the temple of our American democracy, and the violence targeting Congress are horrors that will forever stain our nation's history, instigated by the President of the United States. That's why it's such a stain. In calling for this seditious act, the president has committed an unspeakable assault on our nation and our people. I join the Senate Democratic leader in calling on the vice president to remove this president by immediately invoking the 25th Amendment. If the vice president and cabinet do not act, the Congress may be prepared to move forward with impeachment.
0: House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, her comments came after Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer first demanded the 25th Amendment be invoked.
3: But make no mistake about it. The reprehensible acts yesterday were incited by the President of the United States. Yesterday's events would not have happened without him. If there were no President Trump, this would not have happened plain and simple. The fish stinks from the head plain and simple. And so I believe the president is dangerous and should not hold office one day longer. He may have only 13 days left as president, but yesterday demonstrated that each and every one of those days is a threat to democracy so long as he is in power. The quickest and most effective way to remove this president from office would be for the vice president to immediately invoke the 25th Amendment. The vice president can invoke the 25th Amendment today, and if the cabinet votes, he's gone. They should do it now.
0: Senator Chuck Schumer, the 25th Amendment allows for the vice president and a majority of the cabinet to declare a president unfit for office. The vice president then becomes acting president. The section of the amendment specifically addressing this procedure has never been invoked. Both Democratic and Republican leaders are demanding the resignation of U.S. Capitol Police Chief Stephen Sund. Questions about how hundreds of Trump supporters got into the usually high-security United States Capitol remain unanswered. In Washington, D.C., Mayor Muriel Bowser admitted there had been a failure by police and security. She blames D.C.'s lack of statehood for tying her hands.
4: I think that there's going to be a lot of time uh, for us to figure out what happened. Obviously, it was a failure, um, or you would not have had police lines breached and uh, people enter the, the Capitol building by breaking windows uh, and terrorizing uh, the people, uh, the members of Congress, who were doing uh, a very sacred con- constitutional requirement of their jobs. Um, so clearly, uh, there wa- there was a failure there.
0: D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser, Metro D.C. Acting Police Chief Robert Conti laid out plans for increasing security as Inauguration Day approaches.
1: There was a lot of valiant fighting by the members of the Metropolitan Police Department uh, there. Uh, At one point, several officers, uh, as a result of of munitions and and pepper spray and tear gas, uh, being able to step off the line, be triaged quickly and back on the line to try to ensure the safety and security of our capitol building. So just a, 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 a tremendous amount of heroic acts. Uh, I have one officer uh, who's still in the hospital right now. Uh, he was snatched into a crowd. He was beaten. He was kicked. He was tased several times. So, yeah, uh, they fought. They fought very hard yesterday.
0: Metro D.C. Acting Police Chief Robert Conti. Among the complaints of yesterday's response was the absence of the National Guard in the city, forcing shorthanded police to chase vandals in the Capitol, leaving the city unprotected. Army Secretary Ryan McCarthy is responsible for the D.C. National Guard. He apologized for the slow response, but said troops are now manning checkpoints throughout the city.
1: At present, we have uh, over 150 personnel uh, up on the um, the Capitol grounds, and we will have 850 on the Capitol grounds by noon today at nine a.m. this morning we began erecting a seven-foot non-scalable fence which will be from constitution independence and first avenue uh, to the uh... in front of the pond right there in front of the Capitol. that that road right there so um, these personnel and this security
0: measures will be in place for no less than the next thirty days as army secretary ryan mccarthy Meanwhile, Republican Lindsey Graham of South Carolina also called for the resignation of the Capitol Police Chief while asserting there's no difference between Black Lives Matter protesters and the right-wing mob that stormed the Capitol. How could we not be prepared? How could, in a joint session of Congress with the Vice President in the building, you not do better than this? Where were the National Guard? Black Lives Matter protest. have you seen the images on the Capitol steps? We had National Guard members in riot gear. Why weren't you as prepared at this time around? Where was the Pentagon? There's all kind of stories that they were refusing to activate the D.C. National Guard. I don't believe that to be true. But what kind of intelligence-gathering apparatus does the Capitol Hill Police Department and the agencies in charge of defending the Capitol have? How could they fail so miserably? We're 20 years after 9-11, right? Yesterday, they could have blown the building up. They could have killed us all. Republican Lindsey Graham of South Carolina. Lawmakers from both parties pledged to investigate law enforcement's actions and question whether a lack of preparedness allowed a mob to occupy and vandalize the building. And you're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul DiRienzo. In the aftermath of yesterday's riot that many are calling an attempted coup, as reported earlier, there's a lot of unanswered questions. The authorities knew there would be thousands of angry Trump supporters and that many would be bringing weapons. Reportedly, in the days before the riot, Capitol Police twice turned down offers of help from the Justice Department and FBI. Video shows the rioters allowed onto the Capitol grounds and woefully unprepared officers letting people surge through the building. The cops say they didn't have any choice and they didn't want to repeat scenes from the response to the George Floyd protests last summer. But the Reverend Graylin Hagler of the Plymouth United Church of Christ, the place where Trump held the Bible after having soldiers clear the park in front of the White House for a photo op, says the double standard was obvious and expected. And please, uh, he's only on for a minute and he has a a, a voice problem, but uh, I think it's very important and worth listening. Reverend Graylin Hagler. do you think is going to happen do you have any fears for the next two weeks and what do you think should happen to trump for this the Plymouth United Church of Christ. Meanwhile, cities across the nation are preparing for more political violence in the wake of yesterday's storming of the Capitol. Workers in Albany, New York installed concrete barriers near the state Capitol, sealing it off from vehicle traffic. New York State Police, meanwhile, are investigating a stabbing incident that occurred outside of the Capitol building on Wednesday around the same time supporters of the President had gathered at a park on the Capitol's grounds. One person has been arrested. In Salem, the Oregon state capitol, state police and anti-Trump protesters skirmished with a group that cops say was planning to rush the capitol building. And on the Internet, there's already a conspiracy theory saying the assault on the U.S. Capitol in Washington was a false flag operation by the loose knit anti-fascist group known as Antifa. But the deeply rooted youthful protest scene in D.C. says they kept their distance yesterday because they knew it would be dangerous. Hope Nyer is a student and activist in D.C. She spoke with WBAI.
5: The prevailing wisdom among my friends and members of my community, much smarter than me, was to stay out of the area as much as possible and to stay safe. There are a lot of ways that it's important and a lot of times where it is a moral obligation to fight back. This was still one of them, but... We didn't believe that we had, you know, the resources, the infrastructure, the willingness to do the level of violence that they're willing to do. It wasn't the time for us to try and fight hand to hand.
0: this had been a, a BLM or a shut down D.C. Uh, protest, it would have been quite a different response.
5: Right when we started to hear reports of them breaching the Capitol building, a friend of mine, a woman in our community, said in a chat that we were all sort of processing in together, if this was us, they would have been shooting us in the streets. And I really agree with that sentiment. I think whether it was the Black Lives Matter protest from this summer that people are engaging in so much nasty whataboutism involving, or if it was even something like anti-war protest, this would not have been tolerated.
0: Yeah, what do you think is the difference here? What caused
5: These people were allowed to engage in the amount of violence that they engaged in, number one, because they are largely white, and number two, because they don't pose a real threat to the system this wasn't an anarchist revolution it was people coming into the nation's capital to fly the flag of the same nation in many cases they posed an immense threat but they didn't pose necessarily a revolutionary threat because they were ordered to do this by the sitting president the conditions of the last four years in this country in general emboldened them and allowed them to get away with what they did
0: And your response to these, um, I don't know if you've been aware of them, but these uh, theories are going around the Internet that these were Antifa false flag protesters.
5: It was Molly Conger, a journalist from Virginia, who said, I know this wasn't an anti-fascist protest because not one person handed me a packet of fruit snacks. I think it's pretty clear that these weren't anti-fascist protesters from the fact that they were chanting. And I won't use any profanity here, even though they did, just so it's publishable for you, you know. Frick and Tifa, or whatever. And I think that when our community stands up for something, when we stand up for liberation, to take care of ourselves and of our communities, we do it in a much healthier and wholesome way. And we don't turn on each other like they did. We don't pose the same kind of terror that they do.
0: And just to wrap up, what do you think should happen next?
5: I want to reiterate that I can't represent any organization at this time, but I personally stand with the people, the members of the House who have called for impeachment, for the 25th Amendment, for the members of, of the House and of Congress who supported the challenges against the Electoral College to not be seated or in some cases to be expelled. This has been a wake up call for a lot of people proving just what kind of danger this ideology poses and that they can't be allowed to continue in the mainstream governing bodies of this country
0: two weeks ago fears that anything else could happen like this
5: the way that the capitol police and other policing bodies in bc responded to them with kid gloves is going to embolden them they've already said you know they're we're coming back we're coming back with rifles they've made all sorts of wild threats that i think we would be stupid not to pay attention to i would like to believe that it won't happen and i i see the actions that D.C. is taking, but they haven't taken enough action in the past, and I find it really hard to trust them to keep the citizens safe. I hope it doesn't.
0: Holm Nyer is a student and activist in D.C. The idea that the left secretly infiltrated the thousands of Trump supporters yesterday would be laughable if it wasn't so dangerous. The author of the Antifa handbook is Mark Bray.
6: There's obviously no evidence that members of Antifa groups are behind what happened or that they participated and the very notion that they would dress themselves up like trump supporters um is without evidence and is really not in keeping with the kinds of tactics and strategies that these groups use it's a way for um those who support trump but disagree with the actions of those who uh, attack the capitol to uh not disown trump supporters while deflecting blame against the left
0: If this was a bunch of Antifa people and black clad trying to seize the Capitol, the reaction might have been a little different.
6: Of course, if this was the left, if this was Black Lives Matter, the response would have been far more violent, quite possibly lethal. There are countless examples in social media, nuns doing sit-ins in the Capitol and being arrested promptly, of all these examples of protesters being treated harshly with strong militarized responses. And then you have predominantly white, trump mob that is welcomed in practically it's obvious that there's a double standard that there's sympathy among law enforcement quite possibly directives from officials to take a different tack towards this but anyone who was paying attention to the political situation and paying attention to what the the right wing was cooking up in advance would know that there was quite a potential for this to happen. It just wasn't taken seriously.
0: What does that mean for the, prog- for the left in America if this is truly an insurrection?
6: Certainly, there were people who stormed the Capitol yesterday who had weapons, who were carrying zip ties, who were planning to take hostages. It was a serious and a dangerous moment. And it is a culmination of a number of years of the right feeling increasingly I guess they would probably use a word like disenfranchised in their own country, seeing cultural changes, seeing the first black president, seeing shifts in how we think about gender and sexuality and bathrooms and transgender rights. And so while the percentage of, of Americans who participated in the attack on the Capitol is low, if you look at popular support for the QAnon conspiracy, if you look at popular support for the notion that the election was stolen away from Trump, very significant percentages of republicans believe these things and so this is really the kind of the the tip of the iceberg among right-wingers predominantly white people who believe that their country is being taken from them who in many cases have a lot of guns and have been you know raised in this kind of selective historical mythology about the us being a country that was conquered by armed patriots and our sympathetic to the notion that it needs to be done again. So I do think it is a dangerous situation. It ought to be taken seriously and that, unfortunately, there's quite the potential for things like this happening again in the future.
0: Does this change the stakes as far as the progressives? I think that the left
6: does need to take the threat of the far right more seriously than it has. The notion that we can just ignore these people, look the other way, that we can count on the police to handle them, never really made sense but makes even less sense. Now, part of this is showing up to oppose the far right. Part of it is doing a better or- job organizing so that when people lose their jobs, they're not blaming immigrants or falling prey to conspiracy theories that they're organizing with their coworkers to build a more just society.
0: Mark is the author of the Antifa Handbook. And finally, with New York state facing a growing multi-billion dollar budget deficit, Governor Andrew Cuomo says it's time to find some creative ways of raising funds, even as New Yorkers wait for a Biden administration to help. One way, legalize sports betting. The other, finalize legalization and taxation of marijuana. The governor spoke yesterday.
7: Look, we're going to turn to Washington for compensation from as crime victims, as I call it. But we're also going to do our part to raise revenue. And two places where we can raise revenue, one is sports betting. We want to do sports betting the way the state runs the lottery, Marcia, where the state gets the revenues. Many states have done sports betting, but they basically allow casinos to run their own gambling operations. That makes a lot of money for casinos, But it makes minimal money for the state. And I'm not here to make casinos a lot of money. I'm here to raise funds for the state. So we have a different model for sports betting. And then recreational marijuana, I think this should have been passed years ago. Too many people have been imprisoned and incarcerated and punished. Too many of those people are black, Latino, and poor it's exaggerated the injustice of the justice system. So I've supported it for years. I've tried to pass it. But this is a year where we do need the funding, and a lot of New Yorkers are struggling. This year we'll have, will give us the momentum to get it over the goal line. And again, marijuana, as everyone knows, Massachusetts has legalized marijuana. New Jersey is going to legalize marijuana. So what are we really talking about at this point?
0: Governor Cuomo has been involved in years of back-and-forth negotiations with marijuana legalization activists. They have a bill, he has another, but they've come close to an agreement to not only legalize pot, but to repair the harm of decades of harsh and discriminatory pot laws. An activist with the Drug Policy Alliance is Melissa Moore.
4: There is a pending bill in the legislature, the Marijuana Regulation and Taxation Act that would legalize cannabis and establish uh, a regulated market as well as reinvest in impacted communities and really center equity and diversity in the industry moving forward. In the past, the governor has introduced his own Cannabis Regulation and Taxation Act, a separate proposal that borrows some elements from the MRTA and then differs in some other areas. You know, I think as we're having the conversation now and, you know, following the November election cycle where we saw even deeply red states like South Dakota and Montana legalize cannabis for adult use, I think New York is really in a position where we have an opportunity not to lead the country in terms of being first. But to still lead the country in terms of getting cannabis legalization right by really establishing the most ambitious and progressive legalization program in the country, making sure that we're implementing cannabis reform and legalization really through a lens of social justice, which is where other states haven't been able to really crack that nut so far.
0: Now, they talked about three hundred million dollars a year coming from taxation of legal marijuana over the next few years. Is there some fear that the governor and his office, seeing this as a plum to add to a desperate financial situation, is going to push away some of these other concerns you mentioned and just go after the money?
4: It's been clear for a long time that the way that New York legalizes absolutely has to be responsive to the types of harms that were done under the marijuana arrest crusade. And we know that it would be absolutely unacceptable for New York to simply... You know, turn a new page in the playbook and say, well, that's it. You know, now we're moving forward and not attempt to rectify this, the sort of damage that's been done, um, and just leaving this trail of destruction in the wake that has now been compounded by the impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic as well. I mean, the, the structural inequities that are at play that for so long led to only certain communities you know particularly black and latinx uh, new yorkers being targeted for marijuana prohibition are many of the same inequities that are at play in what we're seeing with the the impacts of COVID-19 in terms of health disparities, but then also certainly an economic toll that's taken as well. So as we're talking about rebuilding New York State and moving forward out of these multiple levels of crises that have been hitting communities for a long time, it's really not just about looking at the dollar signs, but being being targeted and responsive and comprehensive in terms of what legalization will actually look like and making sure that we're centering the folks that have been, you know, really just devastated time and time again and are still living with those legacies. And legalization fortunately provides tremendous opportunities for people all across the state, both in terms of job creation, in terms of new small businesses that can come to the fore, the way that farmers can participate in the market for folks who are upstate, just the overall economic activity that can generate it, making sure that it's truly rooted in economic justice all the way through.
0: What happens when the legislature meets?
4: Today is actually the very first day of the 2021 legislative session. And then the legislature will be meeting on a regular basis and navigating safety concerns under COVID and I believe doing a lot remotely this session. But there will still be a ton of opportunities for mobilization and organizing and anybody who's interested in making their voice heard on legalization and making sure that New York legalizes the right way with marijuana justice uh, should definitely check out the statewide coalition and campaign working on this issue. And that's at smart-ny.com.
0: Melissa Moore is an activist with the Drug Policy Alliance. Activists say within the next two years, the United States Senate will probably pass a federal legalization bill. And that's some of the news for Thursday, January 7th, 2021. The news was produced with Linda Perry, our engineer is Reggie Johnson from New York City. For the WBAI News, I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening.